Michael, Michael, Michael. Uh, hi, Hava. Hello, Michael. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. I woke up recently. I um, I got this. Shrimp crackers, you say? <laughs> yeah, shrimp crackers. <laughs> it looks really gross because there's a picture of a shrimp on the bag, which makes me think that it's just like straight up shrimp shells. Well, no, it's not shrimp shells. It does contain, let's see, anchovy extract powder and <laughs> shrimp extract powder. Okay, got it. So they extracted, they put a bunch of shrimp in a vat of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they dehydrated that into a powder, and then they put it on a chip. That and there's dried shrimp and ground shrimp. So there is maybe a little bit of shrimp shell in there, but it's so small that it goes down easy. But it's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> okay, it's amazing. I'm going to take your word for it no, on that one. No, it's so good. I went to the Asian market because I was visiting a friend in Central MA. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just not a lot of great grocery stores out in western mass yeah well there are you know they're just far away so yeah I, I had the opportunity to pick up some shrimp crackers i picked up some shrimp crackers thank goodness i can't believe you've been going without shrimp crackers so long how have you lived i don't know i also got some lychee oh yum although sometimes the texture weirds me out a little bit yeah you just kind of have to suppress that a little bit and just enjoy <laughs> and that's what i love is eating a food that requires me to suppress a deep and carnal part of my being <laughs> i feel like eating lychee should be part of sex education for people isn't that what sex okay is? it's something you really want but it's also sort of disgusting and terrifying um, I feel like this is more of a self own me thing than <laughs> this, is? this is like when fucking Ben Shapiro was like, I've never seen a wet pussy, basically. Yeah, it's, true. It's, true. <laughs> it's like, aren't we all horrified of sex? I think we can all agree. <laughs> well, okay, M maybe maybe it's just me, but I don't think I'm alone in this. No, I don't think you're alone. I just also don't think it's universal. <laughs> All right, all right. Are you just batting around the bush and saying it's not a healthy take? I would never be so bold as to think I know what a healthy take is. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, okay. I mean, I make a podcast, for God's sakes. How fucked up do you have to be? <laughs> yeah, that is kind of <laughs> To do something up. like that. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm having my lychee experience. I'm having my crackers. I got some other things. I don't even know what they are that I'm excited to try. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like hot cereal mixes, yum. Thai iced tea mix and that kind of stuff. Double yum. Yeah, I don't know how else am I. I guess I'm fine. Uh, it snowed. Yeah, it snowed a little bit here too. You know, we're in the middle of winter. Ostensibly, it's very warm. Yeah, for the middle of winter, it's a little bit warm, which I'm okay with in the short term. I guess. Uh huh. Might as well embrace yeah. it. Thinking about getting a new leash for skeeter wow then now that's a big investment yeah yeah one of those leashes that go up like really high on the neck like right, be right behind the ears i don't know that kind of leash you're talking it's like about. a slip leash oh okay it helps with training and you have more control over the dog and they use it in like dog shows and stuff i see so you're gonna become a dog show showman show strix uh no well maybe but just trying to help my dog out oh Hi. There's my pup. So nice. He's sleepy. Mm, question. Do you like boneless chicken wings or do you prefer bone yeah, in chicken I wings? Like, I like both kinds. 
I feel uncultured for liking boneless chicken wings, but at the end of the day, IMHO a chicken wing is 90% about the sauce. Yeah, no true. And both wings I find to be equally efficient vectors of sauce. So, now do you like the wing or the drumstick? I mean, the drumstick is the real ideal. If I could get a thing of chicken wings that was just drumsticks, that would be, you know, incredible. That's so funny. I'm sure that's what billionaires get, you know. No. The rest of us can't afford that. The grunge girl loves the wings. Well, she's wrong. They're juicier, you know. Agree they're, to disagree. They're like meaty leeches. <laughs> no. No. Have I destroyed no. little chicken wings for you, for you now? No, I'm never going to stop loving chicken wings. You can't stop me. You can't bring me down. Well, anyway, I, I had chicken wings, so. <sighs> no, I want chicken wings. I won't disclose to you if they were bone in or bone out, but. It's good. We don't even hear about your boning on this show. And, oh, let's just take a little, quick little dog break for a second. Quick little dog, a moment of dog peace. Skeeter. <laughs> He's pulling on a tiny little squirrel squeak toy. Yeah, it's very cute. All right, all right, Skeeter. You're very adorable. We love you. We all know. Get the fuck away. We all know you're adorable, Skeeter. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm excited about our little pot today, our episode, because I read your... Well, I won't get into it now. How are you, Havel? Not yet. Baruch Hashem, I'm well. I'm I'm doing really good today. Yesterday was kind of grumpy because so I am getting a new computer. Very exciting moment in any young woman's life. Oh yes. And I am assembling this computer myself. So I ordered something called a build kit, which is basically like some company picked out all the parts that are compatible with each other and I'm gonna put them together. So my build kit got here yesterday, which was really excited. I couldn't wait to put my computer together, but they forgot to send me three fans without which it's basically like impossible to run the computer. I was really frustrated about that. And then I did a bunch of research and saw that I could go to Best Buy and get three equivalent fans that I needed. And then I went to Best Buy and then they didn't have what they said they had on the website. So now everything's just sitting there in boxes still. I might need to take a trip, hopefully me and me and one of the BFFs are going to take a trip to Micro Center, which uh, for all you computer builders out there, you know how sexy that is. Is that in Rhode Island? Is that like a thing? No, there's the closest Micro Center is in Mass. It would be a drive. Micro Center. I've never heard of Micro yeah, Center. Yeah, it's like a computer part store. Okay. The sellers won't send you more fans? Well, they are going to send me more fans, but God knows when they're going to do it and when they're going to get here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to start playing your games. Yeah. And also, I just don't want unprotected computer parts sitting out in my house for an undetermined amount of time. They'll be much more safe and secure from the ravages of my pets and the vicissitudes of time if I can get them installed inside this beautiful computer case. Right. Okay. All right. Is this a computer that you can then switch stuff out later? Yes. I could do more things to it later if I wanted to. I wonder how long those systems last. Like, are there systems like that that have lasted like a decade and the people have still still just keep trading stuff in and out of them? Well, I don't know for sure the answer to that, but my guess would be shorter than a decade. My first guess is like, there are, I'm sure, systems that still run for a decade. 
but I don't know if you could continually update something to the Precious Thing for a decade because sometimes the standard formatting of parts is changing and your case might not fit, for instance, the newest model of motherboard. So you're not going to really end up with a ship of Theseus situation at the end of the day. I don't think so. I mean, ultimately, I think all reality is a ship of Theseus situation. Wait, explain yourself. How? <laughs> How is that? <laughs> Um, well, like we're all God or whatever. No, I mean, yes, we are all God, but also like our cells are constantly being replaced and like, is any object the same object for any amount yeah, of time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is the self? Let's deconstruct <laughs> You asked me self. to explain, okay? No, it's true. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes at me, bitch. It's not really that everything is a ship of Theseus, is that there is no ship. There is no Theseus. Right. That's the problem with the ship of Theseus problem is that there was never a ship in the first place. Yeah. It was all just an energy field. Exactly. It was all just collapsing probability waves. Yeah. And that we just perceive as solid objects for whatever right. reason. Because we're losers. Yeah. We're super losers. So that's my big fixation. If I had the car today, I would be able to go to Micro Center, but I don't. And I don't know if my friend is going to have her car or not. So just have sort of like ambient micro center vibes hanging over my head. But other than that, I'm doing really well. Just I'm really excited to put this computer together. I'm like, look, keep looking over at it like those parts are haunting me. Okay, wow. I mean, I'm excited for you. I know the excitement of a new toy. I remember when yeah. I got my lawnmower last spring, mm -hmm. I was so excited for my battery powered fully electric lawnmower. Okay. Wow. Look at yeah. you. You're really giving click and clack right now. I'm giving cl click and clack what? Just like vibes. Oh, I am? Oh, yeah. okay. All right. I'm into that. <laughs> I just feel like that's something click or clack would say. That they were excited about their lawnmower? Yeah. Mm, yeah, maybe. I'm just going full electric, you know? Everything is going to be electric in this house. Are click and clack Jewish? No. Hey, Google. Click. No, no, they're Italian. Their last name is like Magliacci or something like that. There's Jewish Italians. Yeah, I know, but I'm just willing to bet that they're... Tom and Ray Magliozzi. Mm -mm -mm. They are from Mass. They're from Massachusetts. Okay. I don't see any indications of Jewishness on the wiki. No personal life, you know, no... Uh... No hints. They were total weirdos. They both like got tech degrees or whatever, but then they started their own like communal shop where like people could just come and fix their cars in this communal car shop. Oh, that's cute. It failed because communal things often fail, but mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, they're very adorable. I don't really like listening to their show, but... You don't like their show? No, it's like a parent trauma thing. Yeah, like yeah, My yeah, dad yeah, likes yeah. it, so I can't like it. It's the same thing with all media that's like Western. Like uh, anything cowboy, I have to hate because my dad made us all watch multi-hour long Western miniseries and movies as a kid. And it's just like not, not possible for me to get over it. Anyway, enough about that bullshit. Mm -hmm. um today we're gonna talk about we're here to talk about something very special yes very special so astute listeners may recall that over the past several months almost over the past year i've hinted several times about a very exciting paper a very exciting teshuva that i've been writing i may have slipped up and mentioned before that this teshuva is about nida for trans women and that's what we're going to talk about 
today is that paper. Finally going to go on the record about this uh, paper that's been percolating. I wrote this paper as part of the Trans Halacha Project's Teshuvah Writing Collective, which these Teshuvot will all be coming out in full in March. So today we're just going to be talking high level about the topic, but I'm very excited to finally delve into it. Before we dive into this topic, I just want to say we're going to talk about all kinds of topics in this episode related to Nita, menstruation, gender, cissexism, all kinds of potentially triggering topics that could come up today. And so we just wanted to include this minor content warning before we got into our discussion and If that's not something that you want to hear, then we'd love for you to take care of yourself. And if not, we're happy to have you along for the journey. So, yeah, Michael. Yes. Should we just start off with what were your thoughts about Nita before reading my paper? I guess we should maybe talk about what Nita is a little bit. Yeah, great. Also, like, how much did you know about Nita before reading my paper? Like, what did you think it was and what did you think about it? Well, before I read your paper, I thought about it and I read pop Orthodox Judaism articles online a little bit Mm -hmm. to get kind of like the sense of what the deal is. Right. Orient yourself. Nita is used in different ways. It seems like on one hand, Nita is the state of a woman who had her monthly menstruation cycle. And uh, some of the time that comes after menstruation is... What am I saying? How the fuck? You explain well, Nita. <laughs> well, here's the first thing I want to say. Nita generally refers to the set of Jewish laws that we understand to be oriented around menstruation. And a lot of legal opinions from various Jewish movements up until now have sort of assumed that menstruation is the key factor regardless of the gender of who is menstruating. And I sort of go the other way on that. Part of my contention in this teshuva is actually Nida seems to be in the halacha more about being a woman than being a person who menstruates. I'm sure there are trans guys and non-binary people out there who have also incredibly well-developed and cool opinions about Nita that I would love to learn about. I sort of explored this specifically from the perspective of trans woman, which is why I mostly use the word woman when talking about it is because I'm exploring the specific gendered aspects. So anyway, to return to the TLDR, Nita is generally Jewish minstrel law. And it also describes the state that Jewish law that halacha assumes someone to be in when they have menstruated. Another concept that comes up is zava. Right. So zava generally is the status and or the laws around when someone has bleeding outside of what's considered to be their quote normal menstrual cycle. Right. And my understanding, reading a bunch of like stuff on the internet is that you never know if it's really Nita or Zava, so it's just safe to assume that it's Zava. So really all these Nita laws that women undergo regularly in some Jewish communities all over the world are more concerned with Zava. People just assume that it's irregular, so they are more strict with like what they're supposed to do. Right. What you're talking about sort of encapsulates a general 
what I consider to be a problem with Nita today, which is that the way most people observe it is sort of a precaution on top of a precaution on top of a precaution that has become so normalized that we don't even realize that these are fences around the Torah and that there's actually a lot more wiggle room in the halacha itself. Do you want to talk about the specifics of what like the cis processes? So generally, people are understood to be sort of ritually impure and sexually inaccessible during the time that they're having menstrual bleeding and for seven days after that. And then there's lots of other things that can complicate that cycle. But that's sort of the the nugget of it, you know, the shrimp cracker yeah. of it all. So at the end of your menstrual cycle, you check yourself for seven days. And if you're like, quote unquote, clean, no blood. Right. Then at the end of that, you go to the mikvah. Right. You do the mikvah thing, and then you can go and touch your husband and, like, go crazy. Right. Exactly. So many of you out there, Michael included, might have been asking yourselves, how could this have anything to do with trans women? (laughs) Uh, When I first brought this topic up to Michael as something I was considering writing about, Michael was very dubious. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I was dubious, (laughs) you know, for leechy related reasons as well. Just because you're terrified of sex. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I can see how that would be a problem in discussing this. But, you know, your paper kind of, I think the goal of your paper is to argue a way that trans women can experience this ritual, which can be very nice and meaningful. Right. I started out writing this to Shuva with the knowledge that there are some trans women in the world who want to have some kind of Nita ritual practice. Part of that may be like wanting a uniquely Jewish and spiritual affirmation of their own gender. There could be all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, I started out with the intention of this is something some people who I care about want to do. And so I want to find a halachic pathway to enable that. Which is a classic good strategy when you're making any type of academic argument, is have your conclusion up front and then find your evidence to support it. Which is how halacha has worked for all time, essentially. The rabbis are constantly like, listen, we were going to conclude this no matter what. Here's a couple scriptural proofs we could have used, but at the end of the day, we're going to do what we're going to do. Yeah, so it was cool to read your argument where you, I don't want to say twist, (laughs) but you shimmy your way into an interesting argument about how Nita is something that trans women can participate in because Nita isn't actually concerned with blood or menstruation, but it's concerned with some metaphysical state that cyclically occurs to women, irrespective of whether or not they bleed. Right. We discussed that most understandings of Nita up until now have thought of the menstruation rather than the gender of the menstruant to be the key factor of Nita. Let's start with my sort of most basic argument for why this topic, even if you don't agree with my conclusions on it, is of concern to trans women. So sort of the Ur text of Nita, one of the most basic texts, comes in Vayikra 1519. Or a read. Uisha ki tiye zava dam yye zava babascha. So 
And if a woman, an Isha, has an emission of some kind, and the emission in her flesh is blood. So everything that comes after this clause is the rituals that we do in case of Nida. So this clause describes who is subject to those rituals. And it starts off with, if a woman has an emission. So part of the problem with how halacha has functioned up until now is folks seemingly somewhat well-meaning cis folks within progressive movements of Judaism have sort of instantiated this idea that anyone who menstruates is on some fundamental halachic level affected by this statement. And sort of they're implying that that person is in some way a woman. And my counter-argument is this statement sort of has two logic gates to it. One, if a person is a woman, that's the first thing we check for when we're trying to figure out if someone's subject to Nita. Two, then if they have an emission and that emission is blood. And if one isn't true, if the person isn't a woman, then everything that comes after that logic gate is irrelevant. Right, 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 right. And so the question becomes, if we accept that trans women are women, that's also an important underlying assumption of all of my work. If we accept that trans women are women, we also have to accept that we're somehow implicated in Nida. Otherwise, we have to prove that the Torah means something else when it says the word woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole. I think we're all in agreement on the uh, woman front. On the pod, all the listeners, we're all consensus, <laughs> unanimous vote. Trans women are women, 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 women. Right, women. but there could be an argument. You could make an argument that when the Torah here says, and if a woman has an emission, it means woman in a more narrow, technical, legal sense than the one we're using it to understand. Because sometimes the Torah does that. Sometimes halacha does that. It uses a normal word as a stand-in for a narrow legal term. Uh, read the sentence again. And if a woman has an emission and the emission in her flesh is blood. I mean, when I just hear that plainly. Right. You and I, enlightened, gender-transcending beings that we are. Or ignorant to how these words are being used in the context they're being used. You could, you know. Right. Or halachic bimbos that we are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems obvious to us. This is only concerning women. Yes. Which makes us feel like we're excluding trans men who want to do this. Right. And that is a challenge of this argument that someone will have to sort out. But at the end of the day, when I was doing all this research, I decided that I would never be able to fully address the experience of trans men because I'm not one and I'll never be one. And I don't think I would be able to fully develop that argument. And so I've just focused on my readings of the text and am open to challenges. So anyway, all we've gotten at this point is Nita matters to trans women. We're included in the big circle of people who are being implicated by these Torah laws. Yes. For sure. Yes. And the question is whether we ever have to do anything about that, basically. Does that inclusion in that big-ass circle ever require any action? Yeah, do we ever get past the second logic gate? Right, exactly. Is there ever an emission in our flesh and the emission is blood in these terms that the Torah means? So before I go on to explain more about my argument, I kind of want to ask at this point, have I uh, dissuaded you away from any of your dubiousness when you read my paper? Did you like it? Did you think it was good? Uh, 
Hava, wow, still dubious. Hava, your paper is just like the study of lychee fruit. The, <laughs> the juicy. It's this. So what you're saying is you couldn't handle it. Yeah, sure. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> no, Michael, be honest. No, I thought it was good. I like the direction you're going in. You use some sources to be like, you know, the blood doesn't really matter. That's like not really a thing. Like you change logic gate too into not being about blood. Sure. Yeah. Ultimately, I'd say I add a variety of other logic gates. Blood can still be one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just isn't the only one. Yeah, you're increasing the possibilities for Nita. Which is exactly. kind of funny, if you think about yes. it. Because, yes. I, you know, because there's like the feminists out there who are like, this Nita stuff is all bullshit. Fucking throw it out the window. Right. Women are free. They should do whatever the fuck they want. Right. This is a question many people have asked me when I decided to write the paper is why would you want to do that? Why would you want to curse trans women with, with Nita? Which is an interesting question, but ultimately not the point of this paper. My short answer I've already given, which is that some people want access to the ritual and thus... The halakhic work becomes to make that access possible. So when I was writing Yon paper, I started off by trying to think about like, can I go in the halakha and find any cases where people's nida status and their bleeding or not bleeding are sort of out of sync? So when someone's bleeding, but they're still considered, quote, pure, or when someone's not bleeding, and yet they're, quote, impure, like where the indicators that we usually think of Nita are sort of all mixed up. And I found this really wild take with the help of a friend from the Rambam in Isra'ibia chapter six, where he says, for all seven days that are established as her cycle, from the outset, they're called days of Nita for her whether she sees blood in them or whether she does not. And why are they called days of Nita? Because they're fitting for Nita. And any blood she might see in those days is to be considered blood of Nita. And regarding the 11 days that follow the seven, they are declared her days of Ziva. Dot, dot, dot. We repeat all those previous clauses I just said. All the days of the woman from the day that her cycle is established until the day that she dies or until the day her cycle is uprooted for the day after she will always count seven days from the beginning of her cycle and after those 11 days and after those seven and after those 11 and let her be precise in counting so that she may know the time in which she sees blood if it is the days of Nita or the days of Ziva for all the days of woman are like this. There are seven days of Nita and 11 days of Ziva, except in case of where giving birth has interrupted, as I will elucidate later. So here is what's wild about the Rambam and what he's saying, if it wasn't obvious. There is this idea that because when a person bleeds is either Nita or Zava sort of relative to their, quote, normal cycle, there's this idea that during the days of Nida, those are the days in which your blood has the potential to be Nida. And during the days of Zava, those are the days in which your blood has the potential to be Zava. And normally, in the way that people reckon Nida in today's culture and through other halachic authorities, those days sort of fluctuate all the time according to someone's actual menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Yes. But what the Rambam is saying is... You have seven and 11 days, and those seven and 11 days remain constant, 
regardless of whether you bleed in them or you don't bleed in them, these repeating seven and 11 day cycles are an absolutely fixed metaphysical quality of your life as a woman that affects the spiritual status of any blood you emit during those times. Is that metaphysical fact, is that that you have the potential to be Nita is a metaphysical fact or that you are Nita? Potential. Okay, okay. But the important thing here is that this is sort of one of the big and first underminings of that foundation that we already assume Nita to be built on, which is sort of like that it always follows this sort of objective biological phenomenon. Whereas here, it's sort of clear that the Rambam is understanding it as like, women have this quality that affects the ritual status of their blood. They have this potential quality well i would say the potential itself is, is a, a quality, quality. Yeah, yeah yeah which imparts qualities yes 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 so there is something magical happening right. with the women that changes the status of their blood right and it functions it operates and goes and rotates whether or not that blood comes out or not so now we're at the state where trans women also have this metaphysical quality. Right. I mean, that was my first question was, do we? Because there's a way of reading this, right, where we do now assume, okay, so trans women have these seven and 11 days going on. If we genuinely accept that trans women are women for all halachic purposes, we've got these seven and 11 days going on, and it may not be as obvious to us when those days are. You know, one of the advantages of being a cis woman who menstruates is that you get really clear, often visual and physical indicators of Nita. But the rest of us are out here operating in sort of a metaphysical gray area that I'm trying to map in this teshuva. So if you had to guess your personal metaphysical state right now, are you in a potential state of Nita or a potential state of Zava. And why is it 7 and 11? I thought it was like a monthly. There's a bunch of things to get into in your question. Oh, okay, okay. Am I derailing? No, no, no. You're you're just railing to another part of the paper. <laughs> you're <laughs> okay. just laying pipe. Anyway, I can say with certainty that I will not be Nita until this evening, actually, is when my Nita cycle starts. Because also as part of this paper, I sort of started practicing this framework myself to make sure that it was reasonable to live under. Okay, question about the 7 and 11, though. Yes. Maybe I have like 13-year-old boy brain, but I thought the women, it was a month thing. This is making it seem like it's an 18-day thing. So this is an interesting question, right? Because there is one way of understanding this, which is these 7 and 11 days repeat immediately subsequently. There's no days between them. You just have seven days of potential Nita, 11 days of potential Zava, 7, 11, just 18 day rotations forever. Mm -hmm. However, a different halachic authority who comes around later, the Chavat Da'at, comes around and clarifies basically what he thought the Rambam meant, which is that these seven and 11 days repeat on a roughly monthly cycle. So for seven and 11 out of every approximately 28 days is okay. what the Chavat Da'at thought that Maimonides meant when he said this. Okay, so according to the Chavat Da'at, 28 days 
minus the seven minus the 11. That means that there's 10 floating vacation days uh, <laughs> where if you were to bleed during those days, you're not Zava, you're not Nita. What are you? Are you just like that's fine? Like that's that's fine, but well, this is this is part of the contention and part of the reason that this opinion isn't widely followed. Okay, essentially, this way of implementing Nita is not what most communities follow today, and part of the reason is this difficulty. Essentially, is the difficulty of blood of Tahora, blood of ritual purity, like people bleeding outside of this 18-day cycle and what to do about that and the potential worry and uncertainty about that blood. Basically, Maimonides, at the end of all this, admits like this is kind of too complicated, too fraught for us to implement as humans. And so we follow this other more strict system, much more similar to what we use today, because that just gives us more peace of mind, essentially. Okay, so at the end of the day, the 7 and 11 maybe doesn't matter so much. The real takeaway here is there is a metaphysical state that all women are subject, or that all women, there's a metaphysical reality. There's a, <laughs> there is a force that acts on <laughs> all the women. The force is with us. The force, the women, just... You're, all the women, they have a secret. They're keeping from you. They have a secret force, <laughs> yeah. and it changes yeah. their metaphysical status. it gives status. us power. It changes their potential status, and therefore it changes their status, because a potential, you know, blah, 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 it's a potential. potential. Oh, there's metaphysical shit happening to you if you're a woman that has to do with your potential about bleeding. Deal with it. Correct. And so... From my point of view, right, we've established that trans women are in circle one, which is that Nita matters to us. Yes. We've established that trans women are in yet another circle, which is that we have real potential for actualization of this ritual status. Right. And then the sort of final question becomes, do we ever actualize it? Do we ever make good on yes. that potential? Mm -hmm. And so... Then I had to go from this rom-bomb onto like, okay, now are there any cases where people actually become fully Nita without blood at all or vice versa? And turns out there are hella cases <laughs> of that. We see later on in the rom-bomb, he's talking about basically how challenging it would be to set some of these cycles because normally Nita cycles are halakhically established by sort of counting when a person bleeds and then a certain number of those bleedings constitute like a reasonable assumption that that will continue to be a person's schedule. Mm -hmm. And yet Rambam in his own discussion of how these cycles are assessed says it's very difficult to count the days. Many times doubts will arise, for even if a woman saw bleeding on the day of her birth, she must begin counting the days of Nita and the days of Ziva, as we explained. So, in this case, Rambam is saying that this metaphysical counting begins even if there's bleeding seen, that there's no physical possibility is menstrual blood. Right, 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 right. Which means that that could happen to a trans woman. Ultimately, this is my point, is that there could be a trans woman who was born and there was bleeding and she would need to count. Right, right, right. right? right. Obviously, there are lots of practicalities that 
that complicate this this theoretical situation, but the point that I'm moving towards here is just to find cases in which, according to the plain reading of the halacha, a trans woman could be certainly Nita. Yeah, I think that's interesting that Maimonides says you have to start counting Nita and, is it Ziva or Zava? Zava refers to what a woman is. Ziva refers to what the time is. Yeah, okay. It's interesting that Maimonides is saying a baby who bleeds would need to theoretically count Nita and Ziva. That implies that Nita isn't about menstruation. In fact, in the Torah, it never says the word menstruation. It just says bleeding. Right. So it's like there's these two categories of bleeding that are linked, that are related to time, not menstruation. And so if if a woman bleeds really young, you're still counting Nita, which implies that it isn't about menstruation. I'm just I'm speaking in a circle, like around yeah, and around no, in a circle. Yeah, no, but I get it. I mean, this was all very, my mind was being blown constantly as I was writing this paper. Yeah, sure, sure. So it's like really a trans woman, you just need to bleed. You just need to like start bleeding somehow. Right. And there are a a bunch of different ways we can end up going with this halacha. For instance, the one I instituted for myself, the one that I practice, is I found the Jewish date of my anniversary, which for me was the first time that I took HRT. And I just started counting my 7 and 11 times then. Because part of this question is like, when does a trans woman consider herself a woman? That answer is different for everyone. Some people feel they always have been women and were women even at birth. Some of us have more complicated gender journeys. So there's a lot of um, tailoring of the halacha that has to happen to account for that nuanced gender experience. But at the end of the day, I wanted to write a paper that showed that Nita was of concern to trans women and that it could be actualized such that it required us to hop in a mikvah and say a blessing. And I feel pretty confident within this paper, which God willing will come forth fully in March, and you'll all read it, that that has been conclusively proven. Like if I'm really trying to buckle down on you, Hava, Mm -hmm. I would say like, okay, trans women, they have to do Nita slash Ziva if they bleed. Right, which is one direction to go with it. At least once, at least that one time. They have to wait Mm -hmm. the seven days after they've stopped bleeding, and then you have to go to the mikvah. But what happens if you don't bleed during your ziva time or your nita time? Do you still go to the mikvah? Another way to put it is, does a post-menstrual woman ever go to the mikvah? for Ziva or Nita-related reasons. So you're actually bringing up quite separate questions there. I mean, I'm not an authority on what is the norm in a sort of orthodox understanding of Nita, but there are a couple different questions. For some authorities, if you have a consistent cycle of menstrual bleeding and you expect that cycle to come around, they might say, well, you should assume that you bled during those days and you just didn't notice it. And so you should just not have sex and go to the mikvah as you normally would. But this may affect your sort of legal presumption of your status in some way. But you should assume that something happened and you just didn't catch it and you should go to the mikvah. Okay. Which again, sort of pulling up the corner tile and showing the underlyings of Nita to be maybe not about blood. Mm-hmm. For a post-menopausal woman, that might be a whole different situation because that same authority might not consider there to be a reasonable 
assumption that you did bleed, which would change the course of action. So it's really a, each case has its own halacha that comes out of it situation. Mm, interesting. Now I'm thinking of the situation where any trans woman that injects HRT, mm-hmm. you could say there's blood. There's potential for blood there that right. you saw or didn't see. <laughs> and then after you inject HRT, you have to wait the seven days because you're Nita Ziva. You're in that state for sure. And you got to go to the mikvah. I think that is that, that is an interesting way to... Yeah, I actually hadn't even considered injectables bearing on this whole situation. But I think you raise a very valid point there. I'm just happy, you know, the whole time I was writing this paper, I had enormous imposter syndrome because everyone reasonably doubted that such a thing was uh, possible or reasonable to attempt. And I doubted it too. And I didn't want to write a paper that felt too tricky. I mean, I'm, I love halachic trickery. Anyone who listens to this show knows that, but I didn't want to write a paper that felt inauthentic. I wanted to be convinced by my own argument. Yeah. Um, which is actually, I realize after writing this, quite hard to do because you're making up the argument. You know, you're seeing how the sausage is made. So it's actually like a higher burden of proof, probably, than others face. Yeah, it's a weird thing because there's a demystification that's happening, but also there's a fun argument, a metaphysical argument happening too. And you are seeing how the sausage is made, and it's weird. It's like I can feel myself being pulled in both directions about, mm-hmm. like, this is both, like, everything I don't want my relationship to the divine to be about, and also, like, I kind of do, you know? Right, right. Another way to say that is, like, I wanted my argument to flow out of sincere engagement with Halacha, even though I already knew where I wanted to land. Yeah. So, do you go to the mikvah? I do not live close enough to a mikvah to go to it. Mikvah is like a whole other question. I do mikvah in the shower following a teshuva that I read that was shared with me by a much more halachically conservative friend who shared this awesome teshuva about basically from an orthodox authority about how showers can sometimes be used as mikvahs. Okay. And I just go with that. So how do you personally deal? Like, we're all in agreement here you know, you and me, at least on the metaphysical potential state <laughs> that you are about to be in. But how right. do you justify to yourself the need to do mikvah without the bleeding, without any type of bleeding at all? I'm glad you asked. Rambam in Israel, Bia, and this is commonly accepted practice. Israel, Bia, chapter six. Anytime there is a doubt for a woman, as to whether she's Nita or Zava, she needs to count seven spotless days on account of that doubt, and she immerses on the night before the eighth day. Oh. Bada bing, bada boom. Wait a minute. So we oh. were talking about Zava, we were talking about bleeding, and that is one approach that I think is interesting that I hope someone writes about, which is like relying upon actual bleeding of trans women. Yeah. But another way to approach this is what we can do is find the time where there is the most reasonable doubt, the most uh, sort of halakhically threatening doubt as to whether a trans woman is Nita, and act based on that. So we for- sort of find the most dense potential of Nita. Oh my God, that's, that's genius. Okay, so you need to go, <laughs> so according to the rabbis, you need to go to the fucking mikvah 
if you don't know if you're Nita, if you don't know if, if you're there's Nita, a reasonable doubt, I would say. And there's a lot of debate as to what a reasonable doubt constitutes. But yeah, I mean, you wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. For instance, if we were way back at Logic Gate one mm-hmm. and I just knew that trans women were included in some way, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't go to the mikvah just based off of that. But now that we're all the way down at Logic Gate 10, 15, 16, it feels like the doubt has been raised significantly enough to require action. It's perfect because in this current state of halachic consensus, there is doubt about the Nita or or Ziva state of of a trans woman for sure. And where is that the richest where the one cycle transitions to the next? Right. So then you wait seven days after you think your Nita is. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you go to the mikvah and you do that for this kind of weird backflip reason, which is your status is unsure. But it happens to coincide perfectly with what a cis woman would do, which is her Nita cycle ends. She waits seven days and goes to the mikvah. So like the actual performance is equivalent. Right. And you could use this justification. That is a that is a mind flip. That's, this that's is really, five, this yeah. reaction is incredibly validating for me. <laughs> like, I understand the whole potential met- metaphysical state thing. Trans women are in either a Nita cycle or a, Z- or a Ziva cycle. And I understand, like, injecting HRT or suddenly, like, getting injured, perhaps, like, below the waist, bleeding for whatever reason. That would force you to have to go to the mikvah. But how do we make this so that it is every single 18 days or every single month and then it's you like you're using the 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 tricky metaphysical unknowable state like you know there's two states that exist but you don't know which one you're in because you're a trans woman and when does when you became a woman occurred you know how right it's 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 messy and so you're using that messiness to justify going to the mikvah right and it works for me because of that last thing that we proved which is that a trans woman could really actualize this it was important for me to prove that it's not just the possibility yes yes but it can happen like you could actualize it with blood and therefore it opens up the possibility of this other reason right and part of the reason it's so confusing is we could live in another dimension where the trans revolution happened much sooner in history or uh, trans culture was much more widespread in ancient history. Whatever the case may be, we could live in a different world where the halakhic authorities had considered trans women in this. And then I think they would have just legislated it or legislated it out. They would have done something. But because they didn't, we uh, are sort of left with this doubt, knowing that it's possible but the halakhic authorities were relying upon didn't tell us how it would operate in our case. Okay, okay. I finally won. We can end the podcast. No, no, okay. <laughs> so a, a final delicate question for you, Hava. Very delicate. Yeah. There's two basic ways a trans woman could be in a state of nita or ziva and have to go to a mikvah. One is like they bleed, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And one is this reason that's secondary the kind of secondary that comes from the potential that bleeding is possible right and we know that it can be non-menstrual blood because of the case that we brought right 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 so okay let's say i transitioned can i use reason number two 
to go to the mikvah or do I first need to bleed? That's a question for another teshuva that I'm hopeful that somebody else will write. Okay, okay, okay. The rabbis make an assumption that all the daughters of Yisrael have an assumption of ritual impurity starting at the moment that they achieve womanhood. So you could say that that assumption of impurity constitutes sort of the perfect time to begin this doubt-based immersion cycle. Or you could go the other direction with it and say that we need to actualize that blood somehow before the immersion is necessitated. Is really, that's like a follow-up paper. It was hard enough just to get to this point. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Definitely, there's something viscerally compelling for me, at least, about the injectable HRT right. thing. And there's something very uh, fun intellectually about the secondary argument that comes around once you've decided that trans women do have this metaphysical potential state that they could be in. Right. And therefore, you have this backflip you can do into into regular kind of monthly <laughs> mikvah time. Yeah. Wow. Wow, Hava. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad we finally did this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope the listeners like it. Yeah, I hope the listeners like it, too. Let us know if you like it, listeners. Tell yeah. us. Tweet at me, at hi, how are you? Or put us on the Patreon comment if you're a patron. Yep, yep. Next week, we will have a very special episode, which will be the announcement of our next giant, enormous, humongous project as a podcast. So I hope you all will tune in. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? That is how we continue to make the show. That is how I continue to live. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate every time one of you likes one of my tweets. I appreciate every Patreon comment. Everything you guys do that lets us know that you're listening is like feels really special to me. So I hope we can continue to have these little talks with each other. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.